Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. For the past 12 years, Zarin Mehta has run what is arguably the finest orchestra in the country, the New York Philharmonic. Zarin retired as the president and executive director of the Philharmonic at the end of this past season. He leaves behind Alan Gilbert, the orchestra's musical director, a position that Zarin's older brother Zubin held for 13 years. Zarin Mehta is famous for his intellect, his passion for the music, and his insights and ideas about how to sustain a world-class orchestra. It's hard to imagine someone better suited for that job. How would you describe your job? Getting paid for something I love to do. (laughs) How's that? I get that impression. You know, somebody said to me, you're retiring, aren't you glad you won't have to do union negotiations anymore? I said, I love doing them. (laughs) Yeah, it's a game. (laughs) It's fun. Zarin's love for New York City is contagious. He experiences more of his adopted city in a weekend than most natives do in a lifetime. Saturday, I went to the opera. Saturday night, we had a concert. Sunday afternoon, I went to another concert because one of the people who comes to conduct us was conducting his orchestra. And it was just very relaxing to go and do all those things. You know, I don't understand colleagues of mine who go maybe once a week to the concert. And I don't understand. Are there some? I assume you go to the movies a lot. I watch movies a lot. I don't necessarily well, go to the fine. theater. That's fine. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah. I went to the movies yesterday morning, which is something I've never done. Right. <laughs> I think I go to the symphony more than you go to the movies. No, I used to go to the movies two or three times a week. You know, sometimes my wife and I go on a Saturday afternoon and then go to the concert afterwards. We love going to the movies and to the theater. We're out all the time. He's talking about his wife of 46 years, Carmen Meda, a former opera singer who is as invested in classical music and the arts as is Zarin. I've been teaching singing for 54 years. For any singing teacher that's out there, it does take about 54 years to figure out (laughs) how exactly to do it, how to turn each new voice into its best, how to attack that instrument or encourage that instrument because everyone is so different. But the main thing 
is to attack it from music instead of only from the voice. So to an extent, when you are instructing and when you are coaching or whatever word you want to use... I would say I teach. You teach singing, and I'm obsessed with singing. And I joke about it because if I could sing, I'd have a completely different life. In my heart, I think I have the heart of a singer, but I have the vocal cords of a crossing guard or something. I mean, I'm just No, not you a don't. Excuse me, may well, I interrupt you? Of course. You have the vocal cords of an actor. Carmen Maida is precise and doesn't hold back on her opinions. And over the last few years, she and Zarin have welcomed me to their classical music world. I've been listening to classical music since my 20s when I discovered it while driving around Los Angeles looking for work. Through meeting Zarin, I've been able to live out my dream of being part of an orchestra, not as a musician, but by hosting the Philharmonic's radio broadcast on WQXR and by serving on the Philharmonic's board of directors. Zarin, an accountant by trade, grew up in 1940s Bombay before it became the booming city of Mumbai. Back then, or at least in Zarin Maida's memory, it was more like a colonial fishing village. For me, it was a lovely upbringing. We bicycled to school for 45 minutes to get to our school. We played cricket every weekend in many fields that actually still exist. And your father was a musician? My father was a musician, so we grew up in a completely absorbing musical environment. Was he a professional musician? Oh, yeah. He was a violinist. Yeah, he was a violinist and a conductor. And he had started the Bombay Symphony. He started the Bombay String Quartet. Was his father a classically trained musician? How did he come to it? But this is one of the craziest things, Alec. I mean, you think back to when he started studying the violin. He was born in 1908. In the 20s, there were no recordings. There was no radio. How did this man get this bug to study Western classical music in India, and we still don't know, and he doesn't know when we asked him. He actually went to school, did a commerce degree, and started working for the income tax department. Uh, Who trained him on the violin? uh, An Italian musician who'd ended up in Bombay (laughs) by ship from Genoa. uh, uh, You know, he gave private lessons, and my father studied with him. What year did he found the symphony in Bombay? In 39. And there had been none prior to that? No. And my brother and I grew up listening to sectional rehearsals of the Bombay Symphony in our living room, chamber music concerts. I mean, I know chamber music intimately only because we listen to it over and over and over again. Your brother has said, I want to read this quote, there was little room for you to practice as a kid between him and your father. Did you, had you wanted to play? No, I really never. I, th- I thought I was enough to listen to it, and I didn't feel any urge to want to learn anything. You didn't? No, and I was perfectly happy doing that. And going to school and listening to music, putting on records all the time. Those old 78s, you had to get up every four minutes to flip the record or right. change it. And that was wonderful. Your your brother, when did he know that he wanted to go in that direction? When he was very young? probably knew all the time, because I think the calling was there, and he really wanted to be a conductor. Then he left India to study composition in Vienna with an eye to go into the conducting school. And a year after he was in Vienna, he got into conducting school and started having... How old was he? He was 18 at the time. (laughs) 
And my father continued working that way, and then he left India, came to England, worked in an orchestra, the Halley Orchestra, a great orchestra, with Sir John Barbirolli, who was a music director of New York in the 40s. Then he came to Philadelphia, and slowly both Zuber and I gravitated to the United States. And when I finished my accounting qualification in London and came to New York to get a job, I was told that I would be drafted and sent back to England as a GI. So that's when I gravitated up to Canada in 1962. I was a bachelor. I thought, this is a nice place. And that's how my life started in North America. Your father lived until when? He died in 2002. No. Yeah. He was 94. He was 94. So obviously he had lived to see both of you establish your career. Was he he mesmerized by that? Yeah, I mean, he was, especially with my brother, because, you know, he lived through him vicariously. uh, Now, having grown up around musicians and uh, your father, but I guess more notably your brother, who being a conductor in the modern age, uh, those guys certainly... um, have a presence, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Did that help you uh, with the work you were doing and dealing with orchestras and soloists? I suppose the way it helped, uh, when I was working as an accountant in Montreal, and I was on the board of the Montreal Symphony, the way you are on the board of the New York Philharmonic, of course when musicians came to perform, to conduct, I got to know them in the New Zubin, so we kind of became friends, and we'd see each other, and we could communicate, and... It's a small world. Yeah, it's a small world, so I got to know a lot of people that way. So, of course, that helped me in... When I did decide to go into this profession of running an orchestra full-time in 1981, I knew a lot of people. But you went to Canada in 62. 62, so I worked as an accountant. I was on the board of the symphony. You were on the board of the symphony. And so from that, it became... You know, my job at the symphony was, like all other board members, you know, governance and raising money. Right. And then when we needed an executive director and couldn't find anybody, a few colleagues of mine and I decided that maybe I should do it, take a leave of absence, and train somebody to run the orchestra. And in the end, I got the bug, and I said, I like this. Zarin remained at the helm of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra for nine years. Charles Dutois was music director. Carmen Mehta remembers their collaboration. They made an exceptional team. What do you attribute that to, that period there in Montreal? Well, first of all, everything was working in the right way. The mayor that was then in Montreal was very supportive. Charlie was at the height of his career, and he brought to Montreal a a very strong discipline to that orchestra. Charlie, as we call him, Mm -hmm. um, has a great ear and a great refined ear the sort of balance of color and in-tune playing. And he created for that orchestra a way of making sure that everything was harmonious. And at the same time, the money, the business was in a good place, so they could do many things, and recording was a great part of that. Mm. And they worked together to bring music to the parks music to the schools. And what about the orchestra itself? These people who are in these administrative positions of the music directors themselves, they're handling this body of all these individuals. Not all orchestras are bodies of people who are easy to handle. 
I guess it's safe to say that under Dutrois and Zarin, you had a happy group of people. They were happy. We had a happy group of people because I think it's always been Zarin's feeling and his devotion to the fact that the musicians have all studied for many years and then they join a group of people and they have to become underneath the baton of whoever the conductor is. That means that you have to make sure that your musicians are happy. Make sure that everything that goes on in their lives, from money to traveling experiences, etc., from their unions, all of that is working well. And your respect for them, your respect for the musicians, and and Charlie's expertise, and he was so adamant that they make a great sound. world, the classical musical world, like back then, as compared to now? I think it wasn't that different. You know, people always think back and say the good old days. I think more people go to concerts today than they did in those days. As the result of what? I think the in the last 10 years, I would say the internet has helped well, enormously. Say, so technology has helped. Absolutely. Instead of saying it's the reverse, I think it's always helped. It's expanded the audience. Yeah. You know, it's like in sports. When they started televising all these baseball games and hockey games and basketball games, it brought more people to the stadiums sure. because they got used to seeing what was going on. It's so competitive here in New York for that ticket holder's dollar. Mm-hmm. How do you think the city has behaved and the state has behaved in terms of supporting the arts? Have they been a good partner for you? Look, in the United States, one does not look to the state for support of the arts. As compared to? Well, as compared to Europe. And where in Europe are they most generous? Every opera house and orchestra in Europe, I'm not talking England, proper Europe, uh, is supported entirely entirely by the state. So La Scala or Munich or Berlin. What do you think the budget of the Berlin Philharmonic is? Similar to yours? Probably not as high. The pay rates are different and they don't have to pay anything separate for health care and pension, which is such a huge cost to all of us in every business. So yeah, the budgets will be different, but it's all covered by the Senate in Berlin. New concert hall complex that's being built in Paris. It's being paid for by the by the city of Paris and the federal government, and it's going to be huge. I went to see it when I was there a couple of months ago. I think it's going to be three or four hundred million euros, which, for European terms, is a huge amount of money, and it's going to be very beautiful. Jean Nouvel is designing it. And uh, it'll open in 2014. They've invited us to go and play there in 15. What's something you think the city could do? Let's confine ourselves to this institution. What could they have done that you had expected that they would do? What's something you'd like to see them do? Let's go back to the basic thing, not just here but everywhere, that I would have liked 
more support for the arts generally from the leaders of our community. And that starts with the presidents, to the senators, to the governors. They do not go to the opera. They do not go to concerts. When we played in Berlin last year, Angela Merkel bought her own tickets and came to hear our <laughs> concert. And she came in the intermission to see Alan and Tom Hampson, who was the, the soloist. And I think that shows the people of that city, the country, the importance of the arts. We don't have that anywhere. I think it would be a great boon for the city of New York if there was a summer home, not just for the orchestra, but you know, the orchestra might do in a three or four month period, 25 concerts. You've got all those other dates that you could have jazz and pop and, you know. So why isn't the city behind the whole idea of doing something? Of leading the charge to have a, a performance space in the city of New York. That's what I mean is lacking from the elected officials. So the summer home is something that we need to do. We need to redo this Avery Fisher Hall. People keep saying it's for acoustical reasons, and I keep saying, no, it's 50 years old. It needs redoing. Right. You don't believe that Avery Fisher is as compromised acoustically as some people maintain? Not at all. So listen, we play concerts on tour all over the world. Of course. I'm not going to give you numbers because I haven't worked it out, but I can tell you that... There's maybe half a dozen halls that I think are better than Avery Fisher. Most of the halls that we play in are really not that great. Right. What is it in your mind, because people struggle with this question, acoustics for symphonic music is something that you assume it's important because people never shut up about it. Is it a science? Is it a team of technicians coming in? Look, or is it luck? I think the problem with Avery Fisher Hall is Carnegie Hall is eight blocks south of us. <laughs> okay. The press keep referring to it as acoustically challenged. If I can show you the reviews of this hall in 1976 when it reopened from the New York Times and all the newspapers, because there were more than one newspaper It closed in those days. for what period of time? It closed for about a year and a half. For what? For a renovation. Just really, refurbishment? No, that time was a real acoustical redo. From the time it opened. And did people largely believe that it had addressed some of the problems? Oh, they thought this was the greatest hall in the world. What do you think, for example, about what is considered a more modern hall, you know, new construction in L.A.? How do you think the Disney Hall sounds? I think it looks beautiful. I don't think it sounds as good as it looks. Right. Uh, but it's a perfectly acceptable right. hall. Right. What's one that's been built recently that you think that they got it right acoustically? If you can name one. No... In the, I would say in the last 20, 25 years, I like the hall in Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of halls in Japan that are wonderful. The Kimmel in Philadelphia? The Kimmel is not that great. It's okay. We just played there. It's improved right. also because they have all kinds of adjustable things. Sure. That's about it that I can the, think the, of. Um, I'm uh, told the new hall in St. Petersburg is wonderful. And in, and, London, and, in, and in London, when was the last time they renovated that hall? They did the festival hall about five or six years ago. It's How much not did a they major spend? improvement. They no. spent, I, I'm told, 150 million pounds, something like that. My God. Yeah, yeah, none of these things are cheap. And then you have to be out of the hall for a long time. Sure. You know, that's one of the problems we'll have. And my success will they have is where will they go? 
And you now we have certain ideas of how to split the orchestra, play in different halls. Uh, there's, there's ways to travel around the boroughs and yes. play. back in a minute with more of my conversation with Zarin Maida, whose wife, Carmen, has some thoughts on why his tenure at the New York Philharmonic was so successful. I think his idea for the orchestra has never really been a vehicle for himself. And I think people see that. If you work with him closely, you'll see that. Also, he's an Indian, so he's good at business, he's good at numbers, he is an accountant after all, he has a great memory. So he's a type that gets respect for not having to check all the time what last year's season was. He has it in his brain. When he makes a season up and you ask him, he doesn't have to check anywhere. It's in his head. He has a good background, not as a musician himself, but with his family, and he's always been interested in music and as a young student in England, went all the time to plays and so on. So he has integrity. He has integrity. He's trustworthy. Absolutely. He's trustworthy. When you just, uh, just when you meet him, when you spend five minutes yeah. with him, by the time you're done, you say, this guy's a gentleman and he's trustworthy. But he also has a, uh, some kind of presence. If you use that correctly, I think you have to command respect. And try to get things done. And get things done. More about Zarin Maida's work with the New York Philharmonic in a minute. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit bartesian.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more 
more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Now, what's changed here in the time that you've been here? When you came here, it was in what, what was the in situation? The Philharmonic? The Philharmonic. Um... But the Philharmonic has unique concerns compared to other. Yeah, I think the salaries are higher. Correct? No, the salaries are competitive with the major orchestras, Chicago, Boston, etc. Even though the cost of living is higher. Yeah, that's unfortunately one of the things that the musicians here have to cope with. Right. I think the changes that have taken place have been more in the way we've taken the orchestra out of Avery Fisher Hall, much bigger better programmed parks concerts, so we're getting a lot of good people. The attendance in the parks has gone up enormously. Uh, our use of the internet and the media has changed enormously. Uh, we're not making recordings anymore, but we are you know, taking our, our broadcasts and downloading them and so on. Why aren't you making recordings anymore? Nobody's making recordings. No one's buying. No, nobody's buying. You can get it free on the internet. You can, you know go on the iTunes and get any piece you want from 18 different uh, sources. Are you selling your material on the internet? Not really. Or are you giving it for free? Giving it for free. Um, the fact that our radio broadcasts are now international is a huge change. That, you know, you can hear a New York Philharmonic concert in Moscow or in Adelaide. I think that never happened before. So technology is what's technology changed. Technology is, you know, we've taken hold of it, and I think that's important. We just did our first television show that we did in, in-house. We brought the people and we directed it, and we did a concert from here for Chinese New Year's. I'm told it was watched by 100 million people. That's extraordinary mm. that a classical music show was watched by 100 million people. How have you changed during the time you've been here? How have I changed? Have you enjoyed being in New York? Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Now you're going I, back to Chicago. I'm going back to Chicago. Your it's a little Chicago. cheaper to live there, and my family's right. there, right. my daughter. There. But otherwise, we would stay here. My wife is not very happy about leaving no. New York. She's happy to go for the reasons we, I just right. said. But we're both unhappy to leave here. If you had enough money, I'd keep a peer that they're here. Sure. Are you going to basically retire when you're there? Or are you going to no, no. I, look, I'm. Uh, I'm not. My father, as I said, worked till he was 92. My grandfather worked till he was 92. I don't know if I'll work till I'm 92. And it's not because of that, but I just don't feel like I can sit at home and do nothing or go and play golf. I'm not that type. When you're home, now, first of all, I want to just mention you enjoy going to the concert hall. Uh, in the time I've known you, are never more happy and never more relaxed than when the music is playing. And you still have a, a high degree of appreciation and real love of, of concert music, which I find is not uh, mutually exclusive from, but interesting, considering your wife, who's very, very critical. <laughs> I always know 
what's what in the concert world, dilettante that I am, this pianist, this conductor, by looking at Carmen Mehta's response. You don't want to go to the opera with her. You don't. She's even more vocal. (laughs) She's even more harsh in her judgments. Because she's an operaphile. Yeah. But she's a singer. She's a singer. So, you know, that comes naturally to her. But when the two of you are home, do you listen to music? Sometimes. You know, we basically... We don't put on background music. First of all, I listen to music that I really want to hear. And often on a Saturday afternoon or something, I'll hear, I'm reading the paper in the dead and Carmen's got, we have a little player in the bedroom, and she's off listening to Bach. That's her go-to music. Yeah, she just, you know, and I agree with her. Listening to music has been so much a part of my life and absorbing it. And I must say, when anything goes wrong with my life or with my thought or with my family, I think it is a constant help to have a musical phrase, the line of a poem in my mind. That means music has fed the internal life. So it's fine, and you're never lonely. Sometimes I just put the paper down and hear the well-tempered clavier coming through. And you, like, you like Bach? Oh, yeah. Why? Well, there's a kind of order to it. There's a kind of clarity. There's a rhythm. It just is uplifting. There's a joyousness to his music, which I find extraordinary. Same thing with Mozart. All those adjectives apply to Mozart. And I guess Beethoven. I mean, it sounds pretty trite, but... No. Schubert, I People love... People want to hear this. Schubert, I love Schubert. I, Schubert's song. someone you're indifferent to. <laughs> you haven't got enough time. Know. <laughs> Give me one example of someone, and without being from disparaging, the 20th century? from the 19th century that you think has been given a very, very generous airing. Someone who you consider lucky. Oh, I can't think of anybody. I think the people who The ones are, that survive. Are the ones that deserve the to survive. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the same thing will happen in this century. You know, Shostakovich is going to survive. Benjamin Britten is going to survive. So there's not a time you're sitting there with Alan or with uh, Mazel before that, and they say, I want to play the blah, 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 and you say, oh, God, whatever you do, don't play that. There must <laughs> yeah, be but some they of do that. it anyway. <laughs> of course. But there's some of that. Yeah, because, but it's you not know, composer-specific. And don't forget that in today's world, if you look at the composers of today, each conductor or pianist or violinist will have his or her not necessarily favorite with people. They feel that they want to perform, and there's others they don't feel like performing. Right. You, think that's, that's, you think there's a difference? Of course. 
Look, you were with me when Manny Axe did his 100th concert with the New York Philharmonic, yes. and he played this piece of Messiaen. He'd never played it before. We talked him into it. Is he going to play it again? I don't know. Did he like it? He said, I got to play it a few more times before I can say I like it. Right. But there are other pianists who adore the piece and play it all the time. Right. You see? So I think that's perfectly natural. I mean, these are people who are recreating something. They have to feel something, they have to be on the same plane. You have seen the greatest people. What's something you watch? One of the greats that you watch, soloist, vocalist, conductor. Say, you sat there and you just gasped and said, my God, I'm so happy I was here to see this. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that stands out in my mind was the concert we did right after 9-11. And we were supposed to do a concert with Anna-Sophie Mutter playing Beethoven and so on. Of course, she didn't come and we decided we couldn't do that kind of a opening night and Kurt Mazur was in Europe and I called him and I said, I think we should do a concert, we shouldn't cancel it. And how about if you consider doing the Brahms Requiem? And he said, absolutely. I said, I have Tom Hampson who's ready to do it. The chorus is ready to do it. The orchestra's on its way back from Stuttgart where they are stuck during 9-11. And so he came and did it, and I made a little speech to welcome everybody, and I said, and please, no applause at the end, just hold hands, look at each other. Kurt was a great conductor, really did something spiritually extraordinary that evening, and everybody who was there felt that, and. I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. The other one that comes to mind was when we played in Dresden. We did three concerts in Dresden in 2005 for the reopening of the Church of Our Lady, which was bombed in the waning days of the Second World War during the firebombing. And it stayed as a rubble until the mid-90s when they put money together to rebuild it. And a remarkable man came to see me and said, you know, we don't know who bombed Dresden, but it would be good if an American orchestra was to go and play there. I went to Dresden, I met lots of people, and we agreed to play there with Lauren conducting. And Volkswagen, which had built a factory there, sponsored the concerts. 
We got a German cellist to play a work written specifically for that event by an Englishman. So you had three culpable parties, if you want, who participated. And we finished the concert with Death and Transfiguration of Richard Strauss. Mm -hmm. And that was a magical, magical, unbelievable moment in this church, hearing this music. It seemed like it was written for that occasion. And people were standing outside as the orchestra, because there were no dressing rooms, of course, in a church, and they walked out. It was a remarkable, magical moment. My good friends Zarin Maida and his wife Carmen have packed up and moved to Chicago. Carmen told me their apartment sold in record time. Our apartment went up and there was only a couple of weeks and we were told that it had been made an offer on and it turns out to be Zarin's successor, <laughs> Matthew van Beeson. Now, Matthew was running around with his agent and... Unaware that it was your apartment. Unaware. He was, until he, came, he saw... He came into our apartment. It was just an open house. So he came into the apartment, thought he liked it. Obviously, it's in a very good place for working at the Philharmonic. And as he's walking through the rooms, we have our pictures and pictures of all kinds of musicians all over the place. So he finally realized that he was in our apartment and, oh, wait, wait, uh, what he told me that I really liked was what gave it away was the collection of the CDs, he said. Oh, yes. He said he saw the music on the wall and he went, who the hell are these people? Look at this stuff they have. And I'm happy to say uh, we can leave all our LPs because we don't have the equipment to play them anymore. And Matthew does, so that's great. No. So we don't have to think about packing them up and sending Let's them somewhere. Let's propose that the LPs stay with the apartment, whoever buys the apartment. Okay. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that the apartment become the official residence, as it were, <laughs> of the executive director of the Philharmonic. But it's just the, the right place to be. Even though I will see you again, it truly, 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 it will not be the same. Not, well, I want to say, not the same without you, plural, meaning you and your husband. It won't be the same without you. <laughs> sitting next to you and sitting in that box with you was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. And for me. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Thanks this week to Mark Travis and the New York Philharmonic.
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.